1: Okay, we are live here on our Sunday radio broadcast, coast to coast, and border to border, on iHeartRadio. Also, the Sunday radio broadcast is available on the mix on Tuesdays, and we are going to start our first, bro- our first, uh, first broadcast here with um, Red Rain. Um, Sam joins us from Red Rain. He joins us here on the telephone, and um, so Sam, tell me and John and Jay a little bit about your band.
2: So we are a band out of Richmond, Virginia. We are a four-piece band. Started in 2013 and worked our way up to try to to get on this uh, national uh, level that we've been fighting for. And so far, we've been doing pretty good with that.
1: So, uh... You guys, have, you guys have got a, uh, a great group here. Uh, t- t- tell us about some of the members in the band. and uh, Just tell us all about the band here, because we, we don't know anything about you guys. Tell us all about you.
2: Okay. So we are, a, like I said, a four-piece out of Richmond, Virginia. Uh, the singer and I have been together uh, in and out of bands since uh, 1999. Uh, his name is Bubba McMichael, uh, great singer-guitar player. Uh, going in through in and out of bands, we decided to do just an all original band, uh, do all original music and put it out there. Along the way, we brought in our bass player, Larry Moore. Um, Larry was actually in a band in Richmond uh, called White Heat, who later turned into Firehouse and um, kept going through the process and then we found our fourth member Stevie Shredder, the guitars uh, uh, I'm sorry, lead guitar player and backup singer. And once we started writing our music, we were lucky enough to find uh, Chip Ruggieri of Chester PR, signed with him. Uh, he turned us on to uh, a producer. We recorded a five-song EP, which is out. It's a self-titled uh, EP called Red Rain. And from that point on, we've been out supporting it with uh, with major um, national acts.
1: We've got uh, Red Rain with us today. They join us live here on the broadcast and uh so how do we find you guys on social media websites all these things
2: sure so the music is on uh i'm assuming every downloadable music site but i know uh google play amazon uh apple um spotify which is a really good place to find us uh also uh we uh you can find us on facebook at red rain that's r e d r e i g n band um and you can find us on Facebook. That is our website as well, RedRainBand.com. We also have a store, so if you're looking for the EP to to buy and listen to, we have that. And uh, if you look on the Internet of Red Rain Band, we're all over the place. We have a couple music videos out, so we're, we are accessible.
1: Red Rain with us today. Uh, Jay, I'm going to start with you. Do you have any questions for Sam while we've got him?
3: Oh, I love their cover photo on their uh, facebook fan page how did you come up with the idea of is that a tornado or windstorm or sandstorm
2: so, that is uh, it is a sort of a little bit of both it's a little it's a little bit of a windstorm with a sandstorm and it's representing um, at the time when we were coming out sort of uh, breaking out and a new you know basically the, the old cliche of a new storm is coming, and and we felt that we were the new storm. Um, so, uh, whoever, so our artist who um, who came up with that album concept, that was really uh, really his concept.
3: He nailed it. <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I think so too. I think so too. We had a couple ideas, but uh, this one's the one that really uh, stuck with everybody. We all agreed on, and then um, and it's worked well for us. Thank you.
1: Red Rain joins more us more. today and uh, you can get their website redrainband.com. That's redrainband.com. Jay, jump in there.
3: Oh, I was just gonna say why did you think that you were the the new storm coming to town, the new the new kids on the block? What what makes you different from other bands? Um you know, uh
2: you know, every band's unique in their own way. I think one one thing that Uh, I don't know if separates us or, or makes us proud, but you know, we, we, um, we, we obviously write the music that, um, that, that, that we, obviously we come up with music that we like and and we, we enjoy playing. Uh, I feel like uh, not only do you come up with some, that you have to come up with your own music. It has to be sort of an attitude Uh, and you really have to enjoy what you play. I I think that comes across live very well. And all three of those really fit uh, every member of this band. We're, we we get along well. We uh, we're all in it for the same cause. We you know when we're on stage, um, you know we just enjoy playing with each other and we enjoy playing in front of people. I, again, I think that comes across. I, I, as far as a new storm, I, I don't know these days in music. I kind of thought differently. I thought, hey, here comes a new band with new music. But as I learn more, you just have to keep plugging away. So hopefully, this storm will keep keep brewing and brewing till it, till it breaks out all over the place.
3: Now, did you guys all play instruments in high school and elementary, or how did you come about in choosing these?
2: Um, So I, you know, I, 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 I don't know if I can speak to the other guys. I I know those guys have been playing uh, most of their lives, but uh, for me, I actually started playing drums later in life. I didn't really start playing drums. I was 14 um, I am the drummer of the band, by the way, uh, and I uh, was started taking lessons, and then for me, I'm, I'm dyslexic, so trying to read music and keep up with that, I just unfortunately couldn't do it and got bored, so I started playing by ear and started playing covers by ear and listening and practicing, and then at some point in time, uh, I just decided to myself playing covers is great if, you know, but I wanted to do, I wanted to go the original route and, you know, that's a hard thing to find is to find other guys that really want to go that route and push it as far as we did. Uh, I know Bob has been playing guitar since he was in uh, middle school. I don't really know much about Stevie and Larry uh, because, uh, you know, I didn't grow up with him, but uh, I know that they've been playing since they were young.
3: John had a question.
4: Okay. I was just kind of asking because I'm seeing who you've toured with and done some shows with. Would you guys Mm -hmm. consider your? I mean, what would you guys consider your motif of your music? Because like Quiet Riot's kind of an '80s '90s rock. I mean, kind of a little bit heavier of a rock when they first started out, but it's been mellowed out by other bands. And Tesla was a little bit heavier, but not like super heavy. But they had a good rocking sound to them. Would you guys consider yourselves along that genre? Or would you consider it a little bit different? Uh,
2: you know, so, so I get asked that question quite a bit. And the, and the only way I feel like I can answer this question is um, we do have an 80s flair to it. I mean, there, there is an 80s sort of flair because we all grew up on that. You know, and, I, and again, I tell everybody, um, you know, I'm a Van Halen fan. I'm a David Lee Roth Van Halen fan. So listening to that all my life. I'm sure you know in some of the drumming i kind of tr- i try to bring some of that drumming in. I know uh the other guys listened to bands from back then and try to you know try to bring some of that technique to the band uh but I don't consider us an an eighties or nineties band um I, I you know i i I heard the term years ago i I consider us what I call american uh power rock band i don't I don't know if there's a label to it. So um, I, I, that's the only way that I can answer that question. I hope, I hope that, that works. I oh, know, I
4: dig it. I, I liked how you said yeah. it. I just didn't know if they were more of an influence and kind of you patterned yourself a little bit off of them. I do like the fact that you guys wanted to do stuff original because, I mean, God knows there's enough cover bands out there to do everybody else's stuff. So it's just awesome that you guys do that.
2: Well, I,
4: I appreciate
2: it. Yeah, you know, it's, and listen, you know, I mean... I, you know, here in our town, there's not a lot of original, you know, again, I'm from, we're, we're from Richmond, Virginia. You know, some of the bands that are from here that are, are pretty popular, obviously, Lamb of God's from Richmond. Um, and they're pretty heavy, as, as you know. And um, oh, yeah.
4: Guar's from, from here, Firehouse from here.
2: Yeah, yeah. But, you know, there's, you know, there and, and we've been fortunate enough, like you said, with the bands that we've been touring with. There's also been, you know, a couple other bands. There's a lot of original music out there. You know, and I just feel like if people just took the time to listen to it. But listen, we're we're all creatures of habit. We all like to when you go out to maybe a bar or to a show, you want to you want to hear what you know. Um, so, you know, that's why cover bands are great. But I, I wanted to go a different route. I was going to I was going to either live or die by the sword, which was playing original music. And so far, it's paid off. And, you know, we have played with a lot of, um, you know, the, those kind of acts. And uh, but, you know, we're always continuing to reinvent. Um, how we can you know really really let, let me back up really, our goal is to get our music out to the to the masses, and how we do that there's really no set path
4: yeah. at least you got a good you, you guys are touring some people that'll get your music heard, so
2: yeah we've been lucky we uh we uh we've toured on and off with Tesla for three years, and those were those were the ones we really hit different markets uh we toured in the Midwest with them, and then we toured up north with them, and now we just got back in February and we went south, which was good. And then the other bands, we just kind of filmed in the other spots. So we've, we've been up from um, Erie, Pennsylvania, all the way down to Charleston, South Carolina so far, and looking to grow.
4: It's a different yeah. dichotomy of people all over the place there. So
2: Yeah, yeah, we're, we're trying to hit as many as we can.
1: So uh, w- with with you guys as we wrap up here, um, how do we, uh, h- how do we find your music videos, find your music, everything here?
2: So again, you can find it if you just, if you, um, if you search, uh, Red Rain, R-E-D-R-E-I-G-N band, uh, you'll see videos. Uh, we have, uh, our title track, the, the song Red Rain, um, and that's one of our music videos. Uh, all the other v- videos are, are pretty much live, but that one's a music video. Uh, again, you can go to Spotify, Apple Music, Google, Amazon, um, anything that, you know, any site that has downloadable music we're on. And again, RedRainBand.com is our uh, is our uh, webpage.
1: Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate you uh, giving us a holler here and uh, being with us. And uh, thanks for joining us. We Re- really appreciated the time, man.
2: Well, I appreciate you giving us time to uh you know to let us uh, sort of uh, advertise a little bit and I I appreciate everything y'all do. Thank you so much.
1: Definitely, definitely. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. All right, take care, bye bye. Thank you. There they go, red rain. And uh so, Jay, uh you're you're out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> yeah. and your internet has failed a few times today. Uh
3: <laughs> I guess. I can't use my iPad anymore since the internet's doing screwy on that. So I'm having to use my phone.
1: So, uh, we are going to do this. She's in her hidden bunker. She's in She's in <laughs> her hidden bunker. And, uh, we are going to...
4: It's only her and Jeffro know where it is.
1: We are going to call Terrence Hawkins. Baby. We're going to see <laughs> if he will pick up the horn. I was just talking to him five seconds ago. So we'll see if he, uh... He will pick up. I keep,
3: I keep, red, red rain. <laughs>
1: okay, we're gonna just try to call him one more time here because I just had him a second ago. He keeps calling on the other phone, which he can't. He can't talk to us there. <laughs> He's got to talk to us here. <laughs> That's how this works. We'll see if he picks the horn up here. Okay. Well, then I'll do. Okay, I'll just do this. Terrence, I'm trying to call you on the other line, brother. Just give me a few seconds here, man. Good <laughs> lord. I just don't understand. These people who don't know how to do Skype. They they don't know how to they don't know how to pick up an actual phone. There is all sorts of shenanigans. It must be Sunday. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Day. You forgot to mention it's Mother's Day! It is
4: Mother's yeah, Day. This isn't being broadcast till Tuesday, so... <laughs> <laughs> like on the replay. I'm not trying yeah, to be reached
3: a smart the voicemail box of... Oh two, my god!
4: Three, six, Dude.
5: Seven, six, seven, I just four, talked
1: one. to you 20 seconds ago. Uh, uh, uh,
5: I'm
4: trying to look them up, but there's like usually it
1: Usually it takes... A guest or two. We have
3: reached the voicemail box of okay, two, dude. zero, three.
1: Okay. It usually takes a few seconds or a few guests to get the ball rolling. And then once we have the ball rolling, we usually can make things happen. So I'm going to see if you maybe. You have reached the voicemail box. Okay. Of... Well,
4: if, if he if if makes the magic happen,
1: he, he just keeps not picking up. And he can talk to me on the other phone, he can't talk to me on this phone. And this is the same number. <laughs> I've reached the voicemail box. Oh, brother! brother. Okay. Well, we're 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 going to do this because apparently, um, I'll just call him back on this phone, and I'll see if he will pick up here, and I'll tell him hang up. I'm going to call you on the other number.
3: John, how
1: do I look We're going to see here.
4: Kinda
1: got like a '60s look to it. And there you are. Hey, Terrence, I'm trying to call you on the other line, brother. It, it it's not picking up. I can't connect you into the show with our co-hosts and do the interview on this line. So I'm gonna hang up with you, and I'm gonna try to call you back on your on your 203 number here. So just give me a few seconds here, man. I appreciate it. Okay, that's happening? been cleared out. He knows I'm gonna call. <laughs> So uh, let's try it again.
3: What's his last name? Terrence who?
1: Terrence Hawkins. Hawkins. Hawkins.
4: Do you know where he's from? Because there's like four of them. What's he do? There
1: there, there should there should be. Oh my god! What's happening? It's calling him. Pick up the phone. (laughs)
3: Some accounting and tax service. I don't think. That's yeah, that's
1: him. what I was getting. To we'll see if he picks or... up the phone. Reached the voicemail box oh of two, zero, three, six, seven, what a mess. Six, seven four one Photography. Okay. Is we're gonna we're gonna guy? we're gonna do this. <laughs> I'm gonna hang up with you guys and I'm gonna call him back. Oh, my God, what a mess. What a goddamn mess. It can't be this hard. Radio is not this hard. It's not this hard. Sunday Radio Broadcast, it is Jiggy Jag. We're going to try this again. Because, dude, you got to pick up the phone. I gotta be able to get you on the phone here. That's how this works. Thank God next week it's all Skype. Hello. There we are. Okay. I just there had to I had to clear everybody out, so now I gotta get everybody back in. So give me a okay, few then. seconds and we will uh patch mm-hmm. everybody back in and we will uh get things going. You're listening to us live here on our Sunday radio broadcast, coast to coast and border to border on iHeartRadio, also AMFM twenty four seven dot com. And uh we are gonna see if we can get everybody back in here. And uh, technology is against us today, but uh, maybe... Uh, okay, it looks like Jay and it looks like John are back. Okay, so we've got our guest, Terrence Hawkins. Now, Terrence, tell us a little bit about yourself. How do we find you online, social media? H-
6: h- how do we track you down, brother? We'll start there. Oh Well, I try to avoid that as much as possible, but uh, the, uh, the, the name is Terrence Hawkins with one R. Uh, my website is Terrence Hawkins.com. Uh, my books can be found at bookshop.org and Amazon. Um, uh, my latest book, which just came out May 1st is called Turing's graveyard. Um, it's a collection of short stories. Uh, and the previous books, uh, were American Neolithic and the rage of Achilles. So I have a, kind of working from beginning to end. Um, the Rage of Achilles is a novelization of the Iliad in modern language. Um, and I should add, uh, occasionally somewhat brutal language. I, I recently had a review posted on Amazon uh, in which a guy said, I, I, for uh, a middle school assignment, I helped my son buy three editions of the Iliad, and yours was one of them, and I had to pull it out of his hands at one point because it was clearly uh, not suited for a 14-year-old. <laughs> the theory behind uh and, and I actually saw an eight year old reading it in the bookstore, and I took it away from it myself. i just couldn't be responsible for the consequences but um the uh, one of the things that that features in the Rage of Achilles is the theory of the bicameral brain, which is kind of a um, i won't say fringe but what was originally a very controversial psychological theory that modern consciousness didn't really begin until about a thousand BC. That is the time of the Iliad. And oddly enough, that, that theory after long after I finished the book um, has become more current. And in in fact, one episode of Westworld uh, is called the bicameral mind. So there's that. The second book uh, American Neolithic is essentially a kind of a takes place in a moving target very near future uh, in the immediate aftermath of a real or imagined terror threat, in which, in response, we've amended the Constitution to basically abolish all of our civil liberties. The um, the Homeland Police, who are sometimes known as the men in black because of their uniforms, uh, have exclusive jurisdiction over anything involving national security, and they, of course, think everything involves national security. The story is told from the point of view of a survivor, a member of the last surviving band of Neanderthals. And the idea behind that, this book, is that, in part, well, of course, there's a political aspect, but also uh, it occurred to me, and I started the book before there was any evidence of human Neanderthal interaction uh, or interbreeding, but it occurred to me at the time that it was possible that a a lot of our our folk art, our mythology, our legends, have to do with things like Bigfoot or the abominable snowman uh, creatures, semi-human creatures living at the edge of civilization. And I thought that might be a memory of the time when we actually interacted with Neanderthals. And finally, the new book, uh, Turing's Graveyard is a short story collection uh, that I, I'm very happy to say was just compared uh, to the Twilight Zone. Uh, it. it I, I'm I'm very very happy about that. Um, it's each of the, some of the stories are, are kind of traditional uh, literary fiction. Most are driven by an idea. For example, uh, I call the title story Turing's Graveyard um, an Internet ghost story. Um, and I, I just saw yesterday or the day before by the way that there's now a tv series called uploaded uh that features kind of a digital afterlife so art imitates life or something like that and uh there then there are just uh there are a number of short stories concerning um you know questions of belief versus science um and there there's a lot of uh there're a lot of humorous stories as well for example one of the stories is called um a call to arms and it's the about the life of a civil teenage civil war reenactor in westport connecticut which is not good it, it's hard to be a teenage boy but when your stepdad makes you dress up like a union soldier uh every weekend it's just no way to meet women <laughs> <laughs>
1: We have got uh, Terrence Hawkins with us today. He joins us here on the telephone. Uh, so, listening to all this, John, do you have any questions for our
4: guest? I um, mean, yeah, I've got two of them. Kind of going a little bit different on the right because I'm reading his about part on his website. How hard was it to get into Yale? And I mean, did, was it a scholarship? Did you were you just like a super brainiac kid in school that you got in there? Because I find that very interesting. And then um, the second part, I was just going to ask you. I I find it very Good of you, because I'm reading here how you become a mentor in Visible, Invisible Ink. I I like the fact you're helping out with that.
6: Well, I, I turning to the second part first. Um, I, I really got a lot of help um, from other writers while I was coming up, and uh, I like to think I really wanted to pay it back. Um, oh. I always used to say that um, there are two kinds of writers: generous and jealous. And unfortunately, I'm the latter part, but I sometimes at least try uh, to do for others what others did for me in spades. For example, um, Tom Parada, uh, the guy who wrote uh, The Leftovers, was just incredibly generous with his time uh, reading all of my work. And uh, I, I should also mention the uh, late Richard Seltzer, who was uh, both a practic- practicing surgeon and a very fine writer. Um, about the Yale thing, uh, I got into Yale in the. Well, I was in the class in 1978, so I got in in '74, and the world was very different then. Um, I mean, I, you know, I look at the kids who are getting in now, and I think <laughs> obviously they're breeding a master race somewhere because that wasn't us. Um, the uh, it, I think what helped me a lot is I, I grew up in a coal mining town in western Pennsylvania. And um, Yale at that time, was uh, all of the Ivies were making a real push for what they called geographic diversity. I mean, they didn't want every last kid there to be, you know, somebody from Groton or, you know, Westport or, uh, you know, Chevy Chase. Um, So that helped. And, uh, yeah, I did get a scholarship. Um, Though I will also tell you that uh, at that time, a year at Yale costs as much as my my dad's Chrysler Newport, um, and because it, when you compare what it costs now, which is about sixty five grand, it's it's obviously the equivalency is no longer there. Um, higher education universally has become incredibly out of reach. And also, just to go back to that uh, to the brainiac point, and believe me, I'm not. Um, when I see what high school students now have to go through to have a shot at an ivy or equivalent school is is just crazy um their time is so tightly budgeted they work so hard and you know according to admissions officers i, I know, you know the fact that they were you know spent the summer of uh junior year building yurts in ecuador doesn't make them stand out you know i i just don't get it but so that's, that's, uh, that's that connection. But yeah, I, I really do. The invisible, the visible ink, pardon me, Thing is is, uh, is really valuable to me personally and really fulfilling. The, um, the, the interesting thing too about visible ink is that it's run through Memorial Sloan Kettering which is an amazing facility uh, in New York. And uh, the person who started the organization is herself a writer whose husband uh, is on staff there. Um, And because it's in New York, um, you know, if I go to a meeting, I'm sitting next to a guy who's, who's a Tony award winner. Um, And and it's also really amazing and, and humbling to see how many people have come through that experience with really remarkably good spirits i mean i'd whine and and cry the whole time but uh they don't that's (laughs) That's really cool
1: that's awesome we have got a a great guest with us today joins us live here in a broadcast uh terrence hawkins joins us he has got a fantastic new book it is a uh uh, Kirkus calls this new book a collection of tales ranges from uh, unnerving to exceedingly dark comedy uh, it, it is a amazing amazing book and it's a, a follow up to his first novel The Rage of Achilles and uh, Terrence is with us today here on our broadcast you've got a lot of uh, good stuff in your background uh, thanks for doing this by the way Jay do you have any, any questions for Terrence
3: yeah i from one author to another, what was your most difficult um, thing about writing this book?
6: Well, it's it's interesting you should say that because this is a short story collection, so it's all been previously published, and it covers a pretty broad range of time. So uh, for that reason, you know, I was looking at stuff, uh, and I hesitate to share this fact, but I'm 63 now. I'm looking at stuff I wrote when I was in my late 30s. And I would think, you know, what jerk wrote that? Um, because over that passage of time, a lot of attitudes have changed. Uh, and a lot of things that were, you know, uh, acceptably uh, laddish in the 90s don't land quite as well these days. Um, and then also uh, from, the, from the writerly craft point of view, when you're looking at a story that was written in 1995, you have to decide whether you want to try to bring it into the, you know, the end of the first quarter of the 21st century, which is where we are now, or whether you want to leave it in the nineties. Um, and in some of the stories, it was comparatively easy to update it without doing violence to the whole story. For example, in the the Westport civil war reenactor story, I mentioned, um, Uh, I changed um, an iPod to an iPhone because nobody has iPods anymore. Uh, And he was listening to Billie Eilish rather than Hoobastank. So that was easy. But in another story, um, one of the characters is a newspaper reporter and he says, I don't have a cell phone. But that's almost inconceivable by present standards. But I decided in that case, that if I tried to move the story into the present, I would just do damage to so many other parts of the plot that I'd just leave it where it was. So, um, yeah. And, and I, I, I will say too, the, uh, uh, I'm used to editing people. Um, this is the first time I've been edited in a, a, a very consistent way. And, um, it, that was an interesting experience too, because, um, not since I was going to writing workshops thirty years ago did I did I get critiqued quite the same way. Now of course I just have to read reviews on Amazon or wherever, which can be equally brutal but in a different way.
1: Fantastic. So uh Terrence, what what are some of your goals for this book?
6: Well, I, I think, you know, the objective well the objective for me personally, of course, was to make sure that these stories were put together in some kind of cohesive fashion that people uh, could enjoy. But if if I had any uh, single objective for how I wanted these things to land with the reader, it would be that they question their certainties, um, That's what one of the stories in particular that I almost made the title story, The Darkness at at the Center of Everything, is um, set in two timelines. One is ancient Sumeria, where a couple of temple priests are discovering astronomy, and the other is present-day Connecticut, where the Earth has inexplicably stopped turning. So um, we have two timelines, one of which the, the priests, of course, have no question that the sun is actually a god that's arising every morning from the distant ocean. And the people in Connecticut, Connecticut of course, know that it's a star 92 million miles away. And it's about how people react when their certainties have suddenly evaporated, which is not too too different from where we are now, is it? Um, Because the world is sure a lot different may 10th uh 2020 than it was uh january 10th
1: yes very much so uh well terrence before we let you go how do we find you uh online websites get the book everything
6: um for uh to get the book of course it's available on amazon and also there's a new organization that's been out for uh, just about a month now that's doing extremely well called bookshop.org it's uh, basically kind of a consortium of independent bookstores. Um, and the, yeah, the sale price, uh, part of the sale price goes to a general fund that's paid out both to the author and to independent bookstores. So if, uh, you want those things to still be around when this is all over, um, I would strongly suggest going to bookshop.org and, um, Otherwise, you can find me uh, at terrence-hawkins.com, one R in Terrence, as I always say. Um, and of course, I'm I'm available on Facebook and um, uh, I'm uh, on Twitter at Yale Writers and Instagram at Terrence Hawkins.
1: Fantastic. Well, it was an honor to speak with you, sir, and uh, thanks for joining us today.
6: Honor to speak with you. Enjoy the rest of the day. Happy Mother's Day to everybody who's listening, and please stay safe.
1: Thank you. Appreciate it. There he goes, uh, Terrence Hawkins. And we are going to try to add... I'm going to attempt... <laughs> With technology, I'm going to attempt to add... Uh, Keyword. Thomas attempt. J in here. He does Skype. Hope, hopefully he's wearing that hat that he has in his photo. But uh, I, I don't know. He, he, he might not have the hat on. Let's hope he has the hat on. Because the uh, he, he, he's wearing a top hat in his uh in in his profile photo, so I'm really hoping he has the top hat on. No, he doesn't have a top hat he just, he a nice he, driver's he, he, he just looks like ross long uh so <laughs> although he looks a little bit more successful than Ross and he also doesn't look as high as ross would be so uh thomas uh welcome to the to our uh little Sunday excursion here uh jay and john and i are uh very interested in learning more about you uh tell us a little about yourself you're you're a musician and uh you do all sorts of cool things
5: well i'm more of an author than anything i won the 2018 gourmand award for my cocktail book look at that and uh so when you say is Hi is the other chap, uh, maybe in other ways, because <laughs> gin is a staple at my house. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, I do a lot of things. I do a lot of royal commentary. I've worked for royal families. I work for private corporations in the United Kingdom and the United States. And really, just living the dream is a transatlantic sort of person. That's
1: Wherever awesome. Wherever they
5: pay me, I go. <laughs>
1: You know uh, that 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 that's a hell of a gig. Uh, <laughs> we have, we've got a great guest with us today. He joins us live here in our broadcast, and uh, Thomas is with us. He has got all sorts of different things going on. Uh, how do we find you online? Social media, websites, all these things.
5: Right, everything is at the Mister Monarchy, and I have my own website, which is. TmaceAchermills.com. I know it's a mouthful, uh, but there aren't any hyphens there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so uh so so Thomas, you have a, a a very interesting background. Uh you you've uh give us give us some details here on some of this stuff that you've
5: done. Oh gosh. Well I, I don't you know if we have enough time for me to go into all of that. So uh the basic thing is uh Born in America to an Italian American father and a British mother, and uh, grew up in Lake George, New York, which is named after King George II. So, British history has not just been part of who I am since I was a child, but it runs in my veins. And uh, when I was a young child, I really just clung to that and wanted to learn as much about my family and where we were from as possible. And it turned into a career writing history books. Uh, doing things with royal families, writing all sorts of things when I was younger for Majesty magazine, uh, contributing to monarchist blogs around the world, such as the Australia Monarchist League, uh, Constitutional Monarchist of Australia, tons of friends in Canada. Uh, Where I live, we're only an hour and 20 minutes from Canada, so I spent a lot of my younger life uh, in the constitutional monarchy of which is Canada. And I think I was very spoiled because I got to learn a lot more about a different system of life, which is not so different to what it is in America. So I saw the attributes of constitutional monarchy and how nice and pleasant the Canadians were. And I said, I think there might be something to this. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> explore that. I, I've been very, very lucky and blessed in my life. Lived in a few different countries. I've done university in Holland, of course, the United States. And uh, I've done a lot of studying in different countries as well. So when they say International Man of Mystery, it's not so much Austin Powers. It's me with the flat <laughs>
1: That's awesome. We have got a uh, great guest with us today. He is a very interesting author, journalist, and uh, Royals expert. Uh, We have got a uh, fantastic, fantastic guest with us today, Thomas Mace Archer Mills. And Thomas has been reporting on the Royals extensively over the past 12 years with nearly 400 media credits to his name. He's also the author of a uh, Gourmand award-winning book on the Royals and their cocktails titled Their Majesty's Mixers When They Rain They Pour. And he has a brand new children's book coming out in the United States very soon, as well as uh, a historically based and educates young children about uh, British Royal history. And uh, he joins us today here on our broadcast. So, you know, one of the things, as, as, I was, as I was growing up, I watched a lot of uh, Entertainment Tonight, and they are obsessed with the royal family. <laughs> uh, why is it that, that places like the Entertainment Tonight folks and e-television and, and the tabloids and everybody, why are, why are they so obsessed with, uh, with the royal family?
5: It's really quite simple. It's something they don't have in the United States. And there's this mystique and this lure and luster as to what is the monarchy? Why is it so antiquated, but you still love it? And the the simple answer to that is it's not antiquated. It does have a place in the world, but... What people have been led to believe in America, and so much me when I was young, is that the nasty old king from England wanted to tax everybody, and that's just evil and horrible, so we don't like royalty in America. So it's always interesting to see the take uh, from the American media, and this just, it's actually a sick infatuation, let's call it what it is. (laughs) (laughs) It is an infatuation with the British royal family. Uh, I think more so because they are, the royal family of celebrities. <laughs> and, uh, yes. you know, no matter what the Kardashians might think, there's always going to be another family that trumps you, and that's the Windsor family. <laughs> that's hands down, <laughs> that's the truth. Um, the Queen just doesn't have as much junk in her trunk as Kim Kardashian. So we just leave no, it at I... that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that, that's a quick answer to what you've asked. But the, the real nuts and bolts of that situation is that it's so far-fetched as to... What royals do? What does a queen do besides sit in her palace and count her gold bars all day? And when you actually dissect it and look at the work and the charity and the statesmanship of, of what the head of this family does, nobody can touch what they do. And we've just had the VE Day 75 celebrations on yep. Friday. Yep. And the queen, at 68 years of being head of state, is the only head of state in the world to actually have served in World War II. And most people yeah. have no idea about that. She was in the ATS, a mechanic, and can change spark plugs and all these. She can fix her own Range Rovers. That's quite something. That's <laughs> so why not cool. a royal auto manufacturer when she could probably build the thing?
1: So, Jang uh, so
3: off with head.
1: <laughs> well, and that's that, that's. Power. Uh, <laughs> Now, uh, Thomas is uh, with us today uh, also to talk about anti-bullying, specifically being bullied by the press. Uh, Sadly, he was uh, skewered in 2018 for being uh, from upstate New York, from Lake George area rather than the U.K., what the press deliberately left out of his own family's British lineage and heritage, his uh, lifelong love and study of the British royal family, the Wall Street Journal put out a scathing article without including his side, and several media outlets in the U.S. and U.K. basically just piled on. Uh, talk to us about this, my friend.
5: Yeah, I was spit-roasted. Let's call it what it was. <laughs> in a good way. Like It was horrible. And, uh, you know, when the media wants something, but they don't actually divulge what it is they want, it becomes underhanded and duplicitous. And we know that there's some good media out there, but the media is selling a product. So they had come to me and said, hey, Thomas, um, we know a lot about you. You've created the world's first and only cryptocurrency for the royal wedding of Harry and Meghan. So being the Wall Street Journal, I was like, well, of course, they'd want to be interested in money, investments, cryptocurrency. And we had tied that coin to seven of the charities that Prince Harry and Meghan were going to work with. Long story short, they said they wanted to interview me about that and also the British royal family, knowing that I had been working alongside all the media for years and years. So, I did an interview with them. They courted me for two and a half weeks. We met, we did the interview. And a fortnight after that, I had a message saying, We're going to change direction with your story. And I said, Well, what direction is that? I did what you asked me to, I gave you a recorded interview and answered your questions. <laughs> And they came back and said, well, we find you to be a very interesting person. So knowing you're from a small town in upstate and you've made it big in your circles on the international stage, we thought we would do a uh, get to know you. Small town boy makes big in the world. You've done fantastic things. You're a Freeman of the City of London. you won book awards. You're doing a lot of charity. You belong to chivalric orders. We want to showcase who you are because it's an interesting story. So I thought that would be okay. Well, it's, it's no surprise now because it's all over the world, but I didn't talk to my father for nearly 17 years. And that's a very private, personal issue, which was blown all over the world. And uh, I am a product of divorce, and that was the cause of the rift between my father and I. Well, the Wall Street Journal decided to phone my father, unbeknownst to me. Holy Never shit. Never spoke to him about <laughs> it. Oh, yeah. So then I had a phone call from my brother and said, what is going on with the Wall Street Journal? So I told him, and he said, well, I think you better think again, because they phoned our father. And I said, what do you mean they phoned our father? I haven't even phoned that man in 17 years, 16 years. (laughs) So when I learned that, I sent an email to the Wall Street Journal saying, what's your game? What are you doing here? You know, that sort of information is not for public knowledge. The reason I don't talk to my father is for my reason.
7: Yeah.
5: Uh, who really cares about my relationship with my father anyway? I'm not an international celebrity. I'm not a movie star. Uh, I'm nobody other than a royal reporting person, and I'm happy to have done that and educated and continue to do that for, at that point, what, 10 or 11 years at that point. This was two years yeah. ago. So I got into it back and forth in an email, and I said, well, you don't have permission to go forward with this story. I've told you the truth. And bam, after the royal wedding, they waited two, two and a half weeks, dropped this horrible story, story and started to uh, just say, well, uh, Thomas, we just always found you interesting, and um, we just felt that you weren't fully honest with us, so we changed the story. And I said, no, no, you didn't change the story. <laughs> we changed the you story. Was so you la- I wasn't hatched in front of a pizza oven from some Italian man in New York City. <laughs> so, you know,
1: that, that would make a really good story, but yes, go ahead, uh, sir.
5: Yeah. <laughs> and Considering it's Mother's Day, I'd I'd like to tell everybody that I wasn't hatched. I was actually born, like all of you mm-hmm. in the studio, to a, a lovely woman who is British and British-Irish. But they purposely omitted that because it's not as interesting if someone who is from a British family actually was born in America and then goes to the UK and and takes up their lineage and who they are. So they misled the public. They made it seem that I was a full Italian-American. Vanity Fair jumped on the story. And there's this great thing called copy and paste reporting. And it's about getting this product out there because what's hot and trending will make money. Yes. Vanity Fair <laughs> never phoned me, they never interviewed me. And then it was the snowball effect. So I'm reading things about myself and I'm like, well, that's funny. I didn't know that fact. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Vanity Fair said, oh, um fake royal comes clean admits about investigation and i'm like well what investigation i i gave a fully complicit interview with the wall street journal there was never an investigation as far as i was told and it was quite something megan kelly jumped on the bandwagon and when you watched her she's like (laughs) yeah yo upstate tommy and i'm like have you ever been upstate and you are now just being horrible to Italian Americans. Not everyone speaks like Guido from Brooklyn. It's, it's not like that. So it's xenophobic. This is the whole thing. Here I am a white guy doing, you know, this, this white person thing about a white Royal family. And if I would have been a different color, if I was a girl, a woman, it lets. if I was a, a trans person, they never would have touched me at all. No. Uh, <laughs> so I felt really uh, vilified for something I didn't understand, because I've spent years and years educating for free uh,
8: yes. with
5: Model Westminster. I speak at schools. I speak to children, to elderly. Uh, I've started foundations with my own money, the British Monarchist Society, which is celebrating... 10 official years in the Platinum Jubilee year of the Queen in 2022, I've spent tens of thousands of pounds. I've never been paid for any of my royal interviews that I've done, and there's nearly 400 of them. So this is something that I've studied, I'm knowledgeable about. Uh, the French call me Monsieur Monarchy, Mr. Monarchy, because I was on all of their programs for the last 10, 11 years. I'm the person that they would go to. So to have the media in America not understand who I am or what I've done and working so deeply with the European media, to now have this travel to every corner of the world was something because then the media I've been working with for 10 years started to turn away from me. Well, we thought we knew who you were. I'm like, you do, you know where I was born. I've never kept it a secret from anyone. (laughs) So I was like really perplexed. And then get this, you guys, honestly, I started getting death threats. I started getting, you're a disgrace. You should do us a favor and just kill yourself. You're an embarrassment to the royal family. And then the Republicans, not Republicans in America, but Republicans who believe there shouldn't be a monarchy, they jump in and... They're like, well, they should start beheadings uh, with you and use you as practice for the royal family. And once you put their heads on spikes, your head will be next to them. And I was like, wow, that's quite pride of place. I mean, (laughs) I don't know how to take that. And it was a barrage. No, it's not easy. It it wasn't once or twice either. This was several times an hour every day. And it started to wear me down. And I started to buy into what these keyboard warriors were starting to say. Well, (laughs) maybe there is something wrong with me. Maybe I'm not mentally astute as I thought I was. Maybe I do have a problem. And it just wore me down to the point where I really was thinking maybe the world would be better off without me. And um, I'm just lucky. I have a great network of friends and professional people, parliamentarians that I've worked for 10 years, and one in particular, who's a core patron of the organization, uh, he was celebrating 35 years of being in parliament when this happened. And I had sent back an RSVP saying, I'm sorry, I'm not coming to the Speaker's State apartments, I, I can't do that. I'm so sorry. And he picked up the phone and said to me, Thomas, I'm a politician. He goes, if I had a penny for every letter and bad word that's been sent around and written about me, I wouldn't need to have this job. (laughs) He said, so come down to Parliament. You'll be amongst your good friends and great people. And if you would have thought for a moment that any of us would have joined your organization, not doing due diligence, not knowing who you were, you're sadly mistaken. And people in Her Majesty's government, people from around the world, for as many people as that really hated me and sent me horrible things, I had equal, if not more, messages of great things. People saying, you know what, claim who you are. And I did that. But it was shocking to me that in America, where you're supposed to be able to be who you want with in, in, un, in uninterrupted happiness, to have that pursuit of freedom. And if people can change their sex, I can change my name. I don't understand what's wrong with that. Um, And I did. I wasn't associated with my father for almost, what, now half of my life. And when I did change my name, it was to reflect my mother's family and the two families that actually adopted me. And I felt that celebrating them in who I am as a person was great to actually change my name. And in 2013... This is how great the research of the media is, let me tell you this. In 2013, the London Evening Standard did a full report about the first book I had written, which was To the Queen of Royal Drinkology. I am not an alcoholic, I swear. <laughs> so, um,
1: I'm, I'm shocked you're not an alcoholic after all of this, but go ahead. <laughs> you know
5: trust me, trust me, I get a bottle of gin quite close to hand, (laughs) but I don't have a problem. And I know all (laughs) alcoholics say that, but I don't. Uh, (laughs) So in that uh, interview, which has been out there since 2013, on the book, it said Thomas J.M. Maysartre Mills. So the author said, what does the J.M. stand for? And I said, oh, well, that's my middle name, James, and my surname, Muscatello, which I'm phasing out and changing. That's been on the internet since 2013. So for the Wall Street Journal and all these other places to make a big thing that I changed my name, obviously they didn't do any research to see that it's already been out there for years and years. So, you know, if I was a woman that got married, I would have changed my name. Or if I was some big actor, I would have changed my name. Tom Cruise isn't Tom Cruise. What's your point? We all like <laughs> <it>. <laughs> So, Did you have any my... legal
4: recourse on this? or?
5: Yeah, that's a on very this? good question. And uh, I thought about it. And I was at a point where I said, you know what? You put your head above the parapet and it gets shot off. (laughs) I don't want to, number one, go against the Wall Street Journal or the media because I felt that they would literally crucify me again. But then it was a cost and an expense. And I had put so much money into research and Crown & Country Magazine and the British Monarchist Society, that living in the royal world is not cost-effective, and it's not an income, (laughs) I'll tell you that much. (laughs) So the money just wasn't there for me to take on a multimedia organization with unlimited financial ability. And I didn't want to put my friends and family through anything more, and it wasn't so much about me, because for as much as I suffered, my true friends and my family were the ones that were suffering along with me. And knowing what the media was doing to them, constantly harassing them and ringing them and wanting to know this and that, it wasn't fair to them. So I said, you know what? I think this is kind of unprecedented in the first place. So I said, I'm not willing to lose anything more because they've already cost me my career. They've cost me my name. They cost me my expertise. But then even people in the royal world started jumping on that bandwagon, writing historical blogs and saying, well, this guy has no British blood or heritage. And I was like, you don't even know me. Shut your face. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) But I have thought about that. And I've been looking at it again. Because when we look at the legal case of Nick Sandman and what CNN did to him, and this 16-year-old boy wearing a MAGA hat Um, against everyone and when you dissected the truth it wasn't what the media made it out to be and he just won like 250 million dollars so number one i'm in the wrong business (laughs) number two (laughs) i really think that when you look at what the media does to people in this cancel culture i think now more and more people aren't scared of the media uh and i think if i look at it now that Now that the Sandman case has been won, it sets a precedent against slander, against telling falsities as truth. And I might actually be able to now follow suit and put one in and see how it goes. But I would look at a proper legal counsel first and look at whether it would be viable to do so. Because if I do that, it's going to put me in another position and my friends and my family. And I'm not ready if I'm ready to live that experience.
4: Okay, I understand that. That's the reason I was asking because of Nicholas Sandman. Yeah,
5: um, and that poor they,
4: kid. They kept going. The poor kid yeah. was misrepresented even after they proved that it was completely false. You had, like, mm-hmm. CNN, MSNBC, and other groups that were so they're still reporting the false and
7: mm-hmm.
4: forever. Yeah. And, I mean, I didn't know if there was somebody that would do it, like, pro bono for you. like Because, I mean, that could be a make-or-break thing for somebody in the legal world. That's exactly. That's the the gentleman that took up the case for Sandman, I think he did a pro bono because he just wanted to shove it down their throat.
5: <laughs> well, if I could find someone for like that, yes. And, and I have been talking to some of my legal uh, friends in New York City because I figured New York City is the place to do it because that's where the Wall Street Journal is based. So, yeah, let's take it to their home turf. But I went ahead and I created a blog which took me months to write, and that's on my website. And uh, I did a lot of research into the Wall Street Journal, and I'm not the first person that they've done this to. There was an up-and-coming singer, and uh, she just had been signed to a record deal, and they put out an article about her, which was duplicitous as well, and they cost her her entire recording contract and career. And I got to thinking to myself, I'm not the only person that this, this... papers done this to. And the thing that's really funny is that the guy who wanted to do this lifestyle piece on me, or it turned out to be a lifestyle piece on who I am as a person, was a money and investments writer. So that tells you that there's something wrong. Why are you doing a lifestyle piece on someone when that's not your expertise? So it was duplicitous from the start. And um, when I told my truth, no one wanted it. The wall street journal didn't care vanity fair didn't care and i had even gone on to um the daily blast live now this was an interesting story because these people came for the royal wedding i dealt with everything for them i got them free rooms to film in free tea free everything once
1: I heard Free tea? Like, Jay Bird oh, Wells yeah. would be down for free tea. No!
5: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the next time you come to the UK, you'll have free tea. You know what? <laughs> if I come anywhere in a hundred mile radius of you, I will take you for tea. <laughs> so, but uh, this company was like, hey, um, we don't really have anywhere to film. I was like, leave it with me. We'll go to one of our sponsor hotels. We'll get it all done. So the first time I met them, I was like, hey, you're from New York City. And they're like, how do you know? I said, the way you speak. And I said, oh, I was born in New York, not the city, but upstate. Long story short, after the Wall Street Journal came out, they were as sweet as pie to me. Oh, um, hey, Thomas, boo-boo. I'm like, boo-boo? What the hell what am the I? bear or something, right? And uh, <clears throat> she was like, oh, we want to get you on for your take on what's happening with the Wall Street Journal, being all friendly and sweet. So I went on, and they lambasted me. And then they went even further to say on national television that when I took them to my private members club, I ordered the most expensive thing on the menu and left them with the bill. So, of course, I had the private members club pull the bill because the most expensive thing is a Kobe steak at literally 100 pounds a gram. So (laughs) that's a 2,500 pound steak. Are you insane? The bill for 11 of us was 360 pounds. Come on. And I had a chicken appetizer and two glasses of free champagne because my private members club comped a whole bunch of stuff for them. So instead of thanking me, they turned me into this horrible thing on national television. And I had to threaten them with a legal legal thing to take it down. And uh, they did eventually because they knew they were wrong because I had the um, receipt for the evening. And I had the text message from the producer saying, Thomas, you've done so much, we're going to cover your portion of the evening. It was not even 30-something <laughs> wow. pounds per person. So it's well documented on my, on my uh, blog that I had made, but I'm telling you, you could not script this better. People would never believe this in a million years, but this <laughs> is my life.
4: <laughs> so basically you went on The View...
5: Oh, God, the view, I'm telling you. If I went on the view and I had to sit between, uh, Kim, what's her name, Bearheart and Whoopi Goldberg, I, I think my head would explode. Yeah.
7: <laughs> yeah.
3: When I can get
5: good
3: and have my tea time with PJ Gangsta, I'm going to make sure you sit by me for tea.
5: <laughs> I'm t- you know what? Look at this. I have my cup of tea here right now. You know, it's <laughs> I always have tea. But uh, this, this is a story. And it's an unfortunate story, but I learned so many lessons. And just because people are nice to you professionally doesn't mean that they have anything nice that they want to do to you or nice to have from you. They want something so they create a story and sell it, regardless who it hurts and who it destroys.
1: Well, uh, before we let you go... uh... How do we find you? you? I, 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 I I unfortunately have to. I'm enjoying him. I, 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 I wish we could keep you a little longer, my friend. But, uh, but uh, before we let you go, how do we find you online? Uh, get all your books, be involved with you, everything.
5: Yeah, please do. I welcome everyone and anyone. So visit treble w, double w Dot T Mace M A C E Archer A R C H E R Mills M I D L L S dot com. That's my website. You can get everything there. My handles for all of my socials are at the Mr. Monarchy. And that's T-H-E-M-R-M-O-N-A-R-C-H-Y, the Mr. Monarchy.
1: Well, you are fantastic. We definitely will have to do this again because uh, you're you're great. You're great, my friend.
5: Uh, you guys are so much fun, and thanks for having me, and to all the mothers out there, happy Mother's Day. And trust me, you're never too old to protect your children, and, I, and my <laughs> mother is yes, the best yeah. person.
1: That's fantastic. Well, uh, well, you are great, and uh, we <laughs> will talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. Appreciate uh, it, my thank man.
5: Thank you. Have a good afternoon, and keep drinking your tea. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. There he
1: goes, and uh, we are going to yeah. add in, or I'm going to attempt to add in. That dude in. was
4: so cool. We're
1: going to see if maybe this will work.
3: I don't. What know. a Nice voice too. We'll see what distracted happens. Distracted me. I couldn't find his his websites or anything because his voice distracted me.
1: Well, uh, we're 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 going to go from British to I believe Irish, and we can, oh, <laughs> if she will. Nice. Uh, if she will pick up the uh, the old Skip Skype and and uh, there she I is. there she is. Oh. Hello, how, how are, are you, you, my friend?
9: Can I hear you? I can.
1: There we go. Like You're I said, we 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 went from a, a guy with a British accent to a chick with an uh, a guy with a British accent to a chick with an Irish accent, and now we are uh, <laughs> we are <laughs> we are lives. So, uh, I know I'm going to butcher your first name, so I'm going to let you do your own introduction.
9: All righty, Jiggy, um, <laughs> this is Siobhan O'Brien here.
1: I knew I was going to butcher that name. Thank God. Uh, <laughs> thank, thank God you did it. Uh, so, so tell us about your your musical background. You have an incredible music background.
9: Oh, um. Yeah, where does it get you, though? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm doing, it's my life's work, it's my passion. I can't get away from it. I have to do it for my soul. Um, I've been doing it a long time now, and uh, my new record, Kim, is out now at the moment, You Can't Run Out of Love, and I recorded it in Austin, Texas, with um, John Bush and Matt Hubbard, and they are members of Edie Brick Hell and the New Bohemians and we we just all got on really really well and we made a great record and i'm really proud of it and they're really proud of it and um i moved from ireland 3 years ago this month actually wow. and yeah uh, yeah this is kind of the, the culmination of 3 years work um yeah basically
1: <laughs> we have got a great guest with us today and uh you can find her online s i o b H a n o b r i e n dot com, and uh, okay. she's performed with the uh, the Chieftains, opened up for the Cranberries, uh, Paul Brady, among others. Uh, that is that is pretty cool that you've uh, been, been able to uh, do as much music with as much different people as you have.
9: Yeah, um, yeah, that, that was back in Ireland. I opened for all of the. Well, I did the Chieftains in Boston Symphony Hall about ten years ago because Paddy Maloney from the Chieftains is, plays Illin Pipes. Illin is your elbow. And he plays Illin Pipes um, on two songs on a record that I did back then called Songs I Grew Up To, uh, The Long Black Veil and The Lakes of Punch Train. So I performed The Lakes of Punch Train with the Chieftains at Boston Symphony
1: Hall, in yeah, about 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this, this new record uh and and everything that you've got out there uh Mm. tell us a little bit about this
9: well it's it's there's mostly songs i've written since i moved here um the king's fool was the first single and that was is about my like adaptation into this country and also about kind of like playing the game all the time and still I think we're all playing a game because we're all unless you're in your the perfect job that you want you know and most people have to play the game um to to get a to get a, to get along to go forward and um you know for me that was it, it is playing in where people don't really want to listen and um but that's just because you have to make a living and that's just the way the state of music these days that nobody wants to pay for music. And for me to, I mean, I would love to be able to just get on the road and have people paid to come and see me and to buy my CDs and all that kind of thing. And that's, a, that's ideal. <laughs>
7: but I mean, that's
9: just not the way it is. And it's just, you know, it struck me the other day about when we're all doing these live streams now, because that's all we can do. And we're, we're, we're being so polite about it, saying gratuities welcome, um, but not um, expected. I mean, would a plumber say that? You know? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> and it would be to pay the plumber. You know, it's just it's just we're in a conundrum and it's it's really anyway, I'm gone off topic. Um Yeah, I wrote most of the songs when I came here. Um some of them are older ones that I wanted to re-jig. E <laughs> and um, um yeah, I, I'm just I'm just thrilled that I've got to do it in Austin and um I've built up a relationship with you know a lot of Austin musicians and it's been amazing. Um yeah. So
3: did you do any dancing
9: growing up? Dancing. Did Irish dancing? Yeah, we did I did well my mother is is a music teacher and her father was a music teacher and a conductor and her brother was um was is like a famous show band star from the 60s in, in and he went to Las Vegas in the 70s, I think, actually. Elvis used to come and see him and he op- they, the Beatles opened for him in the Cavern in Liverpool. But um, I came from a very musical background so my mother had me playing piano and violin. I did Irish dancing. I did ballet, but it's not for me. <laughs> um, I, in later years, I think I did tap dancing and salsa dancing just for fun and I think it's probably a better way to keep fit
1: being in the gym and being bored.
9: <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's great. We have a tremendous guest with us today. And uh, the new album, You Can't Run Out of Love, uh, was recorded in Austin, Texas. And uh, O'Brien worked alongside uh, John Bush and a few others from the New Bohemians. And uh, together they brought to life ten original songs, each documenting important moments in her life since she left Ireland for the U.S. in 2016. So uh, what what do you make of the United States? You've been here a while, my friend.
4: So I was wondering, you know, the culture shock coming from Ireland to Texas.
9: Uh, yeah well I'm in Virginia now I live here but oh, I fair. um it is a culture shock I mean it really really is I as the way I am as a an artist or a, like a person or whatever I don't like the fast pace craziness that everyone has to deal with and um thank god I don't have to do a 9 to 5 job and be on in traffic for two hours or one hour in the morning and then again in the evening i I just that for me is the was the biggest was the biggest stress imagine i'm saying was now because there isn't even traffic jams now anymore um that was a massive stress um and just people misunderstanding things i say just because of dialect or or the way i say things or whatever and i just feel i was explaining myself a lot (laughs) Um, but you know, and I mean, luckily you all speak English and, you know, I tried to learn a bit of Spanish as well, but yeah, no, I, you know, I think it took me, I say six months, but really it was kind of a year to, and, and there isn't really, it's like, you're still always ever evolving and assimilating and adapting all the time because it's, I, I grew up in a you know, I grew up in a way more slow paced life. And I don't like the fa- fast paced life, but, um, it's, we have to play the game.
4: <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <You know? laughs> if everyone's slow paced life come out to Kansas with all of us. It's, it's nice and slow out here. So.
9: Oh, nice. I, yeah.
4: That's what well, I love you, about what, it.
9: Uh, this is what I would love to just be living in nature all the time. And, um, it'd be you, nice you, to-
1: you know, you know what I think is, is, is funny. You, you, you bring up, uh, you, you, you've got your background there and you, you brought up nature, um, I was told at one time by one of our photographers, Michael Nagy, the only reason he was leaving Kansas to move back to New Jersey is because Kansas doesn't have any nature. So he he will be shocked oh. to know that you have nature out there because I think he believes the only place in the world that has nature is New Jersey. But uh... <laughs> oh,
9: God, really. I don't know what I mean... How does
1: Kansas not have nature? That I don't know. I don't know. And 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 I think he told me this statement. When we were standing in a public park, so uh, <laughs> he maybe was
9: fibbing and didn't want to tell you the real truth.
1: <laughs> exactly. It's a uh, uh, it, it's yeah. a great guest. She joins us today here in a broadcast. So, what 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 is your social media like? Uh, what 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 do folks think of you on? social media and and give you feedback on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and some of these places.
9: Good. Always for always very, very positive. I just need more of them. (laughs) I keep saying when I have a real good fantasy, Oh my God, if I had a thousand of you, that would be so great. (laughs) It's just so hard to get through (laughs) the, through the, the glass ceiling or the whatever you want to call it. But, um, yeah, no, people have been really receptive to me and, it funny, like at the start, I used to get annoyed when I, when people say, "I love to listen to you talk," and I go, "What? Because my voice is awful. What are you talking about?" <laughs> and 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 then I just had to say, "Look, embrace it. They they like your voice, you know. Go into voiceovers or whatever."
3: <laughs> I like it.
4: <laughs> she likes anybody with a dialect to it. So
9: yeah, so well, it's it's just it's so- different, I suppose. And it's funny when people say, "Oh, you're actually really Irish." Yes. to uh, <laughs> <laughs> <okay. laughs> like, be wearing the green was... hat
4: and everything.
9: And... well, I keep forgetting that you know there's first generation, second generation, third generation Irish, and you know they all want to say that they're Irish, and that's fine. I mean, but when they they go, "Oh, you've got an accent. You actually are really from Ireland." Um. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you're not. You're not cosplay Irish. You're actually Irish. Cosplay? Explain yeah. cosplay, Jay, to our guest. I don't think she's ever heard that. Uh, no, that term. I haven't. You've
3: seen people walking around in costumes like Catwoman and stuff, right? <laughs> no,
4: no. It's <laughs> like the conventions and stuff. Cosplay—you kind of go through and you're basically acting out the characters.
7: It's like cost- if you're into like yeah.
4: if you're into Braveheart, you go around doing the oh yeah, you know, talking with that accent and like oh, comic cons and different things, so <laughs> it's an odd world. I, I didn't know
1: anything about this world until a couple of years ago when I went to some yeah, comic con. And it's 50, a different style of artist kind of we thing. Are so. people. fifty-five yeah. people were dressed up like Deadpool. I'm like, what the hell is this? And then I was told, I, I was told, you know, cosplay. Uh, this is what they're doing. They're 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 cosplaying, and it's like, okay uh whatever.
9: Okay. <laughs> role play then, so we, we leave that behind.
1: <laughs> so, um uh, where 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 do people find uh your music? How can they get your music?
9: Okay, the first place to go will be my website which is shivonaobrien.com and the spelling s i o b h a n I have to just enunciate all the time because people don't know what I'm saying. And I mean, I've had people say, um, oh, how do you say your name? Um, Siobhan. Uh, but there's a B in it. And I go, well, that's how I say it. And that is how is it?
1: How is it? <laughs> <laughs> that's how awesome.
9: So say O'Brien dot com. S-I-O-B-H-A-N-O-B-R-I-E-N dot com. Awesome.
7: That's awesome.
9: And then Instagram um, is Siobhan O'Brien Music, Twitter is Siobhan O'Brien Music, um, Facebook is Siobhan O'Brien Music Girl with an at sign before it that'll get you to my like page. But my name—I mean, yeah, I mean, go to my website is the easiest thing because it, all the links are from there. And uh, yeah,
1: yeah, awesome, awesome. You, you, you are—you uh, are pretty damn fantastic. <laughs> By the way, oh. <laughs> this, the, 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 this is definitely been, been fun. So, uh, so what are some of your goals for this uh, music collection?
9: My goal right now is to get a band on the road and tour nationally. That's what I would love. That's what I would love. I'd love to buy an RV and just get on the road.
1: Wow. <laughs> So, John, yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> jump in there, my friend.
9: I always had big, huge expectations, and it just doesn't work out.
4: <laughs> I'm going to let Jay go. She looks like she's getting ready to do the pee pee dance, wanting to ask a question. So, Go ahead, Jay. Come on now.
3: Are, are, can you hear me?
4: Yes, yes, we got you. Yes.
3: Good. Have you ever heard of Red Hue of Donegal? Red Hue? Yes. Hello? Is it a band or a person? Or an person. ancestor? I, you obviously haven't heard of him. He was a historical in, in Ireland. He's
9: probably local to, to where did you say Johnny Yes. Yeah, I'm in I'm in Limerick, which is like about, I don't know, four hours, five hours down. That sounds nothing wow. when you're in America. I know, but like <laughs> In, in Ireland with all those small windy roads it takes a long time to get anywhere I can imagine um, if there's not a main road to it you know but um, no I, I don't know I bet you a girl called Marion Bradfield does though I wrote some songs with her in Donegal one time but I, I'm not familiar with Donegal no Brian Baru is my ancestor as because he, he was the high king of Ireland and all the O'Briens apparently are descendants from him who knows and it's funny with the whole 23 and me or whatever the ancestry.com thing is oh yes <laughs> um apparently there's like millions of people that are descendants of nile of the nine hostages <laughs> even my cousin irish her husband who's not irish is descendant of him i mean i was like oh my god so i don't know what's going on with that database
1: but
9: anyway <laughs> 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 Sorry, I don't.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, John, jump in there, my friend.
4: I was going to ask you, what made you pick Austin to go to? Was it the music scene there when you first moved? Because that's where you went first. And then what made you go to Virginia?
9: Okay. So I, by default, ended up in Virginia because um, a woman called Patty Simpson just booked me solid and I had instant work. So I just had to get, you know, take the work as for. Oh yeah. The minute I stepped on here, you know, I mean, to the states. So, um, and then I had a friend who I could stay with in Virginia in Alexandria. So it was just made sense to do that to get my feet on the in the door, you know. And then, about a year and a half later, I saved up all my money and I went to Nashville looking for producers. And I met maybe about five or six of them in Nashville, and most of them said um your songs are good but they're not great and I said I won't be crushed and I was crushed and then (laughs) I I had played South by Southwest in Austin about in 99 and I also worked on cruise ships for a year before I came here while I was waiting for my artist visa to come through and I met a guy on that and it was Matt Hubbard who ended up producing the record so when I went down to Austin then I kept thinking, I know I have to go to Austin and I don't know anybody and I don't know why. But I set up some meetings with a couple of producers and Matt brought in John Bush um, as the engineer. So they were the co-producers and like straight away we just hit it off. And that's how it ended up there. And uh, like it makes a huge difference when you can really get on together, you know, and especially when. Yeah, you don't want any awkwardness or weirdness, you know what I mean? So it's just, it, it, it's, it made sense on a whole gut level, you know. So um, they were, they were and they're amazing. They're really, really great musicians, amazing musicians, and great with ideas and great to leave things flow. And um, <clears throat> yeah, no, it was it's just worked out. Cool. It helps when somebody believes in you. Hmm? I said it
3: helps when somebody believes in you
9: absolutely that's you know and it's thanks for saying that because I couldn't have worked with somebody who said to me my songs weren't great you know what I mean like it's it just it, it your whole confidence is down you're, you're you're doubting everything you can't work like that mm-hmm. um it's um yeah you know I I really feel since I left Ireland too that my confidence has really really grown and you know, while I might have had it some bit, I just felt like I was going nowhere at home, and I had done what as far I'd done everything I could do in Ireland, and I had gone as far as I could go, mm. and that's really what um, you know encouraged me to to leave. You know, as an older woman doing it, it, it was pretty scary, but I mean, it, you. <laughs> your Your passion drives you and, and i can and that's what the king's fools about as well It's just like a burning desire that I cannot shake and I have to do it um even if it means I leave my son and my family and my friends and my country. you know what i mean yeah. that's that's and that's what an artist will tell you that they know that it's it's that deep
1: <laughs> well, it is definitely a uh, fantastic interview today with you uh i appreciate you joining us today thanks for being on with us thank you and uh i i appreciate you making time and uh we are going to play some of her music during the uh during the podcast portion but uh i appreciate Appreciate you joining us today thanks for coming on my friend
9: and you know today's mother's day i have it the last song on the record is called mother i don't know if you're going to do that but um it's called mother and you can't run out of love is about motherhood modern day motherhood struggles so the first or the last song cool <laughs> <laughs> well uh
1: well I appreciate it Ch- that thanks for chatting Ch- with us and uh this has definitely been fun I appreciate it my friend thanks for joining thank us
9: thanks so much guys
1: thank you and uh you. we are going to take a time out and uh we are going to call somebody on the phone because they have to do a phone interview. Uh, I just think that in the era of Skype, and the era of Zoom, what are you talking to people on telephones for? So we are going to take a break. And uh, I am going to try to call this guy on the phone. And we're going to get him in here. And we're going to get it figured out. And uh, let's see if we can do this here. We gotta call this Julia George as well. She's kind of a hack. But um we're gonna get our guy in here. Let me see if I can call him. We'll call him up and see if we can call up Mr. Merrick. Not McMichael's Rosenberg okay mm-hmm. merrick can you hear me my friend
0: yeah how are
1: you perfect there we are okay well give me a couple seconds i've got to skype in my other two uh co-hosts here to the mix and we will uh get things rolling and chat with you here and uh perfect make this happen and uh Welcome back to it. It is the world-famous Jiggy Jaguar radio broadcast, also uh Jiggy Jaguar experience each and every Sunday here on our big program. And uh, you can find us uh, on kjagradio.com, The Mix, on Tuesdays. If you miss us live, you can catch us there. And we have got a great phone guest who is uh, joining us today here on our broadcast. And uh, Merrick Rosenberg is with us. And... Uh, Before we get rolling here, my friend, how do we find you on social media, websites, all these things?
0: Oh, yeah. Well, you can find me at TakeFlightLearning.com or on Twitter. It is at Merrick R. So, M-E-R-R-I-C-K-R.
1: Fantastic. So, uh, talk to us about TakeFlightLearning.com. I guess we'll start there.
0: Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, we all have a personality, and we all need to work with others who have different personalities. So what we do is we teach people how to understand each other, how to communicate, how to get along, how to lead, how to create a great culture. And it's just all about understanding ourselves and understanding the people in our lives.
1: So uh, check us out here. He's He's got a, a great website, takeflightlearning.com. And uh, Merrick Rosenberg with us today here on our big program. And uh, so uh, you have got a, uh, a series of books. You, you, you've got all sorts of things going on. Uh, talk to us about the latest here.
0: Uh, well, the latest book, you know, I talk a lot about personality. Uh, but my latest book coming out, it's, uh, it's available for pre sale. It's called Personality Wins, Who Will Take the White House, and How We Know. And it's all about how you could use personality, to understand who's going to win a presidential election. Essentially, elections are just a big personality contest, and uh, it's actually predictable based upon what's happened in the past.
1: So uh, break this down for us. Educate me and Jay and John here on all this.
0: Sure. So what we have is we've we've got four personality styles, and I'm going to make it easy. I'm going to link them to four birds, make it nice and simple. So we've got eagles. Eagles are take charge, they are assertive, they are dominant. The top of the food chain, somebody like Donald Trump, of course, would be the eagle. And I'll picture like an Arnold Schwarzenegger. You've got you've got those parrots, and parrots are fun, they're social and enthusiastic. They've got a lot of energy. Picture like a Kevin Hart or a Jimmy Fallon. In the political world, Joe Biden would be the parrot. We've got dubs. They just want everyone to get along. They're that person in your family who's like, don't argue, let it go. It's the holidays. You know what he's like. And, and so the doves are the ones who just want everybody <laughs> to be happy. Somebody like a, a, in the political world, like a Pete Buttigieg or a, a Princess Diana would be a great example of someone who's the a, who's a dove or Mother Teresa. And uh, the last one is the owl. And owls are logical and analytical, and they have a plan. They have a process. If they're going to do something, they are going to do it right. And uh, in politics, I always think of somebody like Elizabeth Warren. You know, she even told shirts that say uh, Warren has a plan for that. You know, everything that she did is, is logical and analytical. So, so we've got these four personality styles. And uh, what's fascinating is if you go back in time, eagles and parrots have a big personality. They're charismatic and energetic. And eagles and parrots beat doves and owls in every presidential election. In fact, they've done it for 22 straight elections going all the way back to 1932. So these big personalities beat those smaller personalities on a big stage, and no bigger stage than the presidential election.
1: <laughs> we have got Merrick Rosenberg with us today. MerrickRosenberg.com is his official website. And uh, he's a personality enthusiast. He's the author of Personality Wins. And. Uh, the chameleon. He's also a CEO of Take Flight Learning. And uh, so, John, uh, I, I know you've probably got some questions for, for our guest. Jump in there, my friend.
4: Yeah, how would you... Um, I like how you're talking about the um, personalities, and how you associate them with the different birds. Where would you put Biden? Would he be like a cuckoo bird or something? Or?
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, Biden is a parrot, and you know, here's the problem, is that you have somebody like Biden, parrot, they say Speak before they think, which is why he makes verbal gaffs all the time, and so he's done that his whole career. All parrots do. I mean, if you look back to to different presidential candidates and just even in in companies and people we know, that's what happens: is they they speak before they think, and and uh, sometimes their their uh, thoughts get ahead of themselves a little bit.
4: <laughs> okay, I can go with that.
7: Shut up.
1: What? What's up? You, you cut out there, Jay. Yeah. No, I'm just
4: enjoying the gentleman because it makes sense what he's talking about. So
1: We have got uh, Merrick Rosenberg with us today. He joins us live here in our broadcast. And uh, Coast to Coast, Border to Border on iHeartRadio. Also, if you miss us live, uh, you can find us on The Mix on Tuesdays. And uh, so talk to us a little bit more about your book. What, what are some of your goals for the book?
0: Sure. Well, you know, everybody always thinks that people are voting for, for platform when, in fact, maybe we're really voting for personality. And one, I want people to see themselves in the book. You, you're going to be asking the question, all right, which bird am I? Am I more like a parrot uh, or more like an eagle or a dove or an owl? So and nobody's just one. You're a combination of all of them. But I want people to see themselves in the story and get a sense of their own personality uh, but also to get a sense of what happens out there. The presidential election is just a great lens through which to understand the world around us and uh, perhaps to start to consider, are, am I voting for the person who really is in my best interest or am I really voting for personality? Uh, and, you know, a lot of times we've, we filter out some of these great candidates over time because we've, uh, we've, we've been drawn to some, somebody who's got a big charismatic uh, energy, Uh, So I want people to see themselves in the story, but also to educate them about uh, how how they're making decisions on a presidential level.
3: Do you see people like single mothers voting for uh, president based on the fact that they're needing a leader?
0: You know, what's interesting is that
6: we would think
0: that, that there's a lot of other variables, such as the economy, such as whether the u s is at war or are we at peace, or whether one person is an incumbent, but you know it is certainly true that some people are clearly voting based on ideology, that they agree with the policies of some of, of a potential candidate, and at both ends of the continuum that's absolutely true. But what we know is that elections are decided by those people in the middle, by those swing voters. that's why candidates really try to get them to, uh, on their side and in the middle, which is where that election is decided, it's not really about the issues, it's about who do you like. And, uh, and that really comes down to personality.
3: What do you mean by swing voters?
0: So you've got people on, on the left who are clearly those liberal or Democratic voters and people on the right who are clearly more Republican. Like, you've got those people, it doesn't matter who the candidate is, they are going to vote for the party that they are affiliated with. But in the middle, they swing back and forth. Sometimes they'll swing more towards the left. Sometimes they'll swing more towards the right. And it's those people who really aren't definitively Republican or Democrat who often decide elections. And they're not really necessarily voting for issues. They're voting for the person that they like. So personality just becomes so important in deciding who's going to win an election.
3: Women often vote for men that look nice, too. Uh,
0: you know, if you think about it, go back to, go back to uh, the election between Kennedy and Nixon. Nixon, when people saw him on television, they saw this good-looking, young, vibrant guy versus Nixon, who, who was kind of awkward and, and uncomfortable in his skin. And, and the people who saw Kennedy thought oh my god he absolutely won that debate but the people who heard Nixon who was more of an owl Kennedy was more of the parrot the people who heard Nixon thought hey you know what he actually sounds pretty intelligent he sounds like he knows his stuff but you know what you're 100% correct we're visual and we and that and we play off of that charisma and energy that the personality gives off
3: and Kennedy kind of had a baby face going for him too, and Nixon was just kind of I don't know,
0: not good looking. <laughs> it, it was a problem, and, and this is this is a part of the challenge that that candidates have today is that that your personality also creates you know how you look. Somebody with a vibrant personality, uh, even if they you might not think they're the most attractive person physically, a vibrant personality can really take over and, and can draw you to somebody, and so. So absolutely how we look, the energy we give off, it's important. And it's not just important in elections. It's important in our lives, uh, in the workplace, in our relationships, and how we get along with others.
1: We've got Merrick Rosenberg with us today. Go ahead, Jay. Jump in there.
3: I was just going to say I'd become the first female president, but I'm disqualified because I smacked my husband's ass. Uh,
0: That could be a problem. That could come back to get you at some point. (laughs)
4: <laughs> and she said weird things in the locker room once, too, so, I mean... No, yeah, but I mean, you're, you're pretty much spot on with what you're saying, sir, because, I mean, if you look at it, Obama came through, and he was a nice-looking gentleman, and he well-spoken. He came across great, and I think that's the reason he won the first time, not because people were looking for a complete difference. But then you had Hillary Clinton, who insulted people right and left looked like you know the hag sister from you know cinderella or snow white or whatever and um was too overbearing and overconfident you had the powerful bravado of um donald trump coming in there so i mean what you're saying is pretty much true like the second term for obama he had he really had nobody to run against because nobody was powerful enough that's the reason i don't think biden is because biden comes across as like, you know, somebody's like drunk grandpa or something. Not trying to be mean to him, per se, but he does, you know, and they're like, oh, uh, 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 uh. so, I mean, you're pretty much spot on with everything you're saying.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you look back at, at at Hillary Clinton, she was more of the owl and came across as just more studious. She didn't have that charisma against Trump, who had a very big energy. And, and you look at Obama against somebody like, like Mitt Romney, who was also the owl, and when you have somebody who's got that that big personality, it's just going to beat a smaller personality. And uh, Biden is interesting because throughout his career, he's really been that charismatic, parrot, big smile energy. But he's but in this election, he's really dialed it down. Uh, and so, it, it, you know, if he wants to stand a chance, he needs to dial it back to where he's been his whole career as somebody who's just got a bigger personality. What we're seeing now is much more of a quieter dove. Almost, just he's dialing up the empathy, which perhaps is needed right now. But but empathy doesn't win elections. Charisma wins elections.
7: Oh
3: yeah. It should not have been Romney against um, Obama. It should have been Herman Cain against Obama.
0: Well, you know, if we had, if you look at different elections and you look back in time, and you know, say. You know, what? If, if they had run an eagle against this candidate, that eagle might have done a lot better. Uh, in fact, if you look back at the last election, all of the, the Republican candidates out of that big pool of over 20 people, there was only one other eagle in that whole list, and that was Chris Christie from New Jersey. And, and Trump just out-eagled him. Besides that, it was an entire group of owls, and, and Trump's personality was just bigger than any of them if anybody had wanted to beat Trump, then they needed an eagle, and and even today, they're, they're, if if Biden wants to stand a chance, he's going to need to dial up that eagle energy. He's going to need to dial up that parrot energy and have and show a big personality.
1: Well, uh, well, Merrick, uh, before we let you go, my friend, how do we find you on online and uh, everything else,
0: Senator? Sure, once again, it, you can uh, my website merrickrosenberg.com, So it's M E R R I C K. That's Rosenberg uh, with an E at the end there. So, Rosenberg.com uh, or takeflightlearning.com. Or you can pick up uh, personality wins on Amazon. Also, my last book uh, is called The Chameleon Life Changing Wisdom for anyone who has a personality or knows someone who does. So, if you just want to learn about the personality styles separate from the election, you can uh, check out The Chameleon on Amazon.
1: Fantastic. Well, I appreciate you making time for us today. Thanks for coming on, my friend. This has uh, definitely Uh, been fun and and educational as well. So thank you, sir. And different. Yes, and different. Thank you, sir. (laughs) And uh, there he goes. And we are going to add or attempt to add our last guest of the day. We will see if this works. I don't know. It is Skype. Who knows what may happen. She may she may be able to be added to the call. I may have to hang up and call everybody back and call her first. I don't know. It is going to be interesting. And who knows? Maybe she might not even pick up. Who knows? I am going to see if <laughs> we're going to see if. Because, you know, technology has been against us or against me all day long. Uh, yeah, this isn't the
4: mom from the New Era podcast, guys, is it? No. You know, if they're yeah. making snickerdoodles for the boys and stuff.
1: We're, we're, we're not going to have snickerdoodles or anything.
4: You know what's funny
1: is is they they talked all sorts of shit about you on Twitter. And I'm like, you know, he doesn't have a Twitter account. He's not going to see any of this. He's like, <laughs> not going to see any, on any of it. They're <laughs> talking it's shit right. on
4: TV? Well, of course, because I'm the only person that actually gets their name out there, so somebody pays attention to them. Yeah. So. <laughs>
3: They calling me the smart mouth witty broad,
4: uh, well, you know, yes, so that, they, they, they talking they... About mom making snickerdoodles upstairs while they're with their action figures and stuff. <laughs> he interrupts them, they're like, Mom, we're doing our podcast. So, uh, look at this, Oh my gosh, it's Lisa Marie Varone. Oh, well, oh, she did like a nude picture. Oh, that's terrible. Throw her away,
1: you know. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Well, let's let's see here. I I don't have. Okay, we're
4: uh, a for the next like ten minutes. To well, fill
1: it out. I I I I could do that, but
4: uh not just joking. I've
1: got. Uh, let's see. Trying to add you to call. Let's see if I can just Skype her and see if she'll. Say, "Oh, okay," and then come
4: it's in. Like, hey, Tease Jabe. I like to. I like to make fun of the newer podcast dorks.
3: I can't believe you sat there and said that. I was so excited to ask a question. I looked like I had to take a pee.
4: You worry <laughs> down. Like, if you're pulling on mom's sleeve, like mom, mom. I gotta go. I gotta go. I gotta go. You know, like just as you <laughs> get out to check out at the grocery store, you know, you wait till then. Then you gotta go. She may <laughs> she she may end
1: up that way uh, if if we get to go to Exotica in Chicago she may be that way with the uh with, with, with the porn people I don't know
3: it depends on who they are
1: we uh well let's see uh, I can't seem to, I can't to seem to get to, uh, old Julia to jump in the pool here well um so okay well While what why I try to get I try to get Julia in here she's I don't know what the deal is. Um, Chris Ortiz. (laughs) That's usually how the stories start. Um, Chris Ortiz the other day uh, gets a hold of me on Facebook, of course. And he goes, I've got this chick in Salina. And she wants to get into the world of porn. And she wants me to help her shoot it. And then she wants me to be in the movies. And so he's all excited and i said well before she starts this we kind of need to have a meeting with her because if you you don't know what you're doing <laughs> oh, exactly <laughs> a, you're gonna have to have appearance releases you're gonna have to she's gonna have to have a name you're gonna have to have a website all these things and so he's like well well, me and this guy who supposedly is his security, which I think is just horse shit. I think the guy just wanted to go meet a porn star or whatever. <laughs> so we were going to do this thing in uh, up in Salina, and we were going to go meet with this chick. Well, uh, she flaked on us and disappeared, and he uh, supposedly we were going to meet with her at 6, then at 6.30, then at 7, then at 7.30, then at 8.00. And then finally, the next day at 10 a.m., he sends me a message. He goes, I think this chick's a flake. Oh, you think? <laughs> <There> <laughs> <me>. So, <laughs> he doesn't meet with us. So, I got a hold of uh, Seth Stevens uh, in, in Wichita with, with the, that does digital marketing. And he always likes to hear Chris Ortiz stories. So, uh, I, I tell him. And uh, I said, you know, this reminds me of the hood rat. Uh, the hood rat wanted to get into the world of porno. She wanted to be a porn star. And I had everything set up for her. I had a, uh, I had an account on StreamMate set up. I had, we were going to copyright her a name. She was going to be ready to go. They were going to get her all sorts of traffic. She was going to make all sorts of cash. And she blew that off and went to a party and bang two dudes in some room somewhere. Some other guy filmed it. And then she comes out of this room and she goes, Look, I made a porno. And I'm like, okay, so you didn't make any money. Uh, this is probably not going to get uploaded. There's no residuals. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so, all these people who just don't <laughs> seem to understand any of this stuff. It's just so damn entertaining i just don't understand these people cuz like at, at least at, at least with uh you know at, at least with with jay she's got this perv demographic and they'll send her all sorts of nasty things and she sends them back messages that goes here's my paypal send me 20 bucks and at least at least she knows hey i need to make money off these pervs
4: oh god yeah <laughs>
3: That one guy wanted me to send uh, pictures of my armpit. And the I the like, armpit
7: no, guy. <laughs> you
3: you want one free sample, I, and he's like, "I lost my free sample. I want another one." I said, that, "No, you pay me, and then it's I'll five bucks. It get another drawer. one, brother."
1: <laughs> yes, I. Uh, I don't know. We might have Julia. She I she might she, so. she might have joined us off of our armpit story there. <laughs> <My kids. laughs> julia can you hear us can you see us
8: there she is Uh, yeah i can okay perfect
1: hey how are you we uh we 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 were sitting here uh (laughs) we we were sitting here talking about the fact that
4: uh there's a child in the background
1: the child is jay no uh, like,
4: <laughs> Behind the nice lady there, she has a cute little adorable little girl there.
1: So, uh, so Julia, uh, you can do Skype, which is awesome because uh, we've had two two uh-huh. other we've had two other authors today that uh, they didn't know what Skype was, they didn't know how to connect to Skype, so I had to call them on the phone. So, <laughs> thank you for being able to embrace technology. <laughs> so. Uh, okay. So fill me and John and Jay in here I know my 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 there you go. now you're I've back. got these issues with this supposedly windows Windows 10 for the last week has decided you know in the middle of the interviews, I'm just going to switch the microphones. just for the hell of it. <laughs> So, uh, so Julia, educate us on uh, on your background and everything that you're involved in here, and and what makes you a, a great author.
8: I'm sorry, I actually just took the call, wondering oh, what's yeah. going on.
1: Hi.
8: <laughs> Hi, thank you. All right, so I didn't know what was going on, and I just took the call. So is this like a group interview? This what is this on? this
1: is this is the interview. We were supposed to do an interview with you today.
8: Uh-huh. And uh, okay.
1: And uh, so, so I'm here with
8: my book. And um, I have <laughs> my book. Um, uh, it's called Amla, A Life on Lockdown. And we had a different time. That's why I'm kind of a little out of place. But um, um, so basically, the book is available on Amazon. And um, hope you can get a copy of uh, yourself, uh, like, you know, for yourself. Uh, it's about women and being abused. Um, just, um, it's a great book. So yeah, please, uh, do, uh, take a look, um, you know, check it out. So,
1: so, so tell us about the book. Why, Why did you decide to write this book? Tell us all about
8: it. Um, tell you about the book. Uh, pretty much it's about a story about a woman being abused and how she finds an alternative to get out of the, uh, the abuse kind of thing. That's about it. a a healthy um outlet or i
3: mean a lot of women will turn towards like um burning themselves or killing themselves what are you talking about
8: oh okay you know what actually i have something else important going
1: Okay. I I don't know. It's a weird deal. We uh we had her set up for uh we had her set up for 3:30 Eastern, 4:30 or or 3:30 Central, 4:30 Eastern. We called her. I don't know. It 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 is a weird world we all live in. That's that's all I got to say. I don't know what's going on, but um, so.
4: Doodles were probably burning, so she had to get them down. To the new right. era podcast. That's guy.
1: right. So she had to get them to the new era podcast. There you go. So. Uh... <laughs> so um, I guess you know? this is... <laughs> Jay. Jump in there. I got nothing. <laughs> I
3: That's
7: what say, said. Know. Wow. <laughs> You're right
3: on authors that don't know how to use Skype and stuff, and you know, a couple of years ago, I didn't either. So, I mean, they can learn. Perhaps. Maybe.
4: Maybe. You know, hey. Jiggy's <laughs> looking at porn on his phone again. No, so.
1: I'm trying to figure out what what the hell her problem was, because she, she clearly has sent me an email that said 4.30 Eastern. That is 3.30 Central.
4: Yeah. <laughs> So I understand there's an that? hour gap in between.
1: I don't know. it uh, It uh, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I, uh, you know, it happens. So, um, as as this is as. A Chris
3: Ortiz story. Yes,
1: Chris Ortiz, the uh, the biggest yeah. star in the
3: business. That a porn star probably had a resident. Res, res, yeah, whatever. Resid. Res, Resid. I heard that word earlier. Residuals. She, yeah residuals she probably had residuals all right but she's
4: gonna have to go to a doctor to get it cleared up it's <laughs> it's a hell of a deal it's a hell of a deal is that like kind of like chlamydia i mean jiggy was telling me about that once but well <laughs> just one
1: they they, they 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 always say you know like uh fairly recently uh i i had a uh, I had a friend who uh his uh, immune system. He got an STD. Well, it was several years ago, but uh, he got an immune immune system issue with an STD, and the doctor told him he says it wrecked your immune system so much you're done <laughs> if you ever get anything else. So things happen. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm I've never had an STD because I'm not a cool guy. <laughs> you gotta be a cool guy to get STDs. But, uh, I, got, uh,
4: I got crabs once so I'm not a cool uh, That
1: was a visual.
4: I mean, he told me one way to cure that was to shave one side, set the other one on fire and stab the little <laughs> bastards as they were coming away from the fireside. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. It was kind of painful but it worked. I mean, you know. Reading, I got into wearing boxer shorts instead of, you know, like briefs, so. Oh my God. I didn't use the ice pick like they told me to, but, you know, it was different, but. <laughs> just... I just love getting those weird visuals in Jay's head. It's That's so much right. fun. <laughs> now they're just going to imagine, you know, like, you know, it was the New Era podcast guys that did that, so. I mean, they probably got the crabs from each other down in the basement, but that's different. That's so we completely won't that different. Way. Completely different thing.
1: Uh, well, I I guess uh, we will wrap things up by talking about next week. Which, by the way, this is going to be this. Let me find this 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 sheet here because this this is going to be a hell of a deal next week. Um,
4: Another author that doesn't know time differences.
1: No, we are going to have okay. we. I was I was I I guess me and John were propositioned on Thursday by Don Mazzella oh, to be a to ride shotgun and be a co-host with us. And I'm like, Okay, Don. So I've got Don Mazzella oh, gonna really? join us next week. And Don oh, is cool. Don is gonna ride shotgun when we talk to get this. Not one, not two, but four porn stars. <laughs> <laughs> we are we are gonna talk we are gonna talk to a guy by the name he is a porn producer by the name of super soaker and <laughs> we'll talk to him we, got
7: Jay excited we
1: will also talk to t s riley who is a uh, she is she <laughs> she is a transgendered porn star who is in who has spoken at star trek conventions
7: Oh
1: yeah, I uh, and, uh, I Then we are going to have Rocky Emerson and Nathan Bronson on at the very same time, and uh, that should be fun. Oh, and then we are going to talk to Porn Jesus. Yes, find Porn okay. Jesus on Twitter. Porn Jesus will sure join us. Jesus? It Porn is Jesus. Is Porn Jesus, maybe he might be Mexican. Who knows? So we'll have, we'll have Super Soaker, who is, who is a guy, obviously. We will have Porn Jesus, who is a guy, obviously. We will have T.S. Riley, who, well... It's kind of a little bit of both. <laughs> a little of bit different. of both. And then Nathan Bronson, uh, who, who is a guy. And uh, Rocky Emerson, who is a really tall female. So it is going to be a cornucopia of fun... Or as I say and Don, course,
4: who's a guy. and
1: Don, who is a serious journalist who attended one exotica in New Jersey years and years ago. <laughs> and uh, he is gonna be with us next week to ride Shotgun with us.
4: <laughs> now you told him he's gotta be on camera, right? He can't like just do the video the audio stuff, right? Oh no no! Don
1: Don Don's gonna get it in, as they say, as the rappers say. He is he is gonna have the headset the whole nine yards. He'll probably have the white background of the whole thing. So, (laughs) and then and then Jay will be live from uh, Bunker Hill there, and uh, we will. (laughs) She will be live from the she shed, uh, as they say.
4: The she sheer she shed. It's well just Jay <clears> throat> watching you <throat> were a podcast, guys. Come on. So um, Sneaker yeah.
1: So that will be uh next week. And uh so John, uh I look forward to chatting with you. I'll probably see you Tuesday. And uh mm-hmm. then uh Jay, I will talk to you next week. So
4: and I just want to wish a happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there, and also happy birthday to my mother because her birthday is on Mother's Day today. So
1: that's awesome. Happy birthday! That's
4: yeah, fantastic. it happens about every like three years or something. It figures like that, so it's always driving <laughs> around there. Are you, Jay, are, are you being nice to your mom today, Jay? You're always yes. nice to your mom, but yes, we I like o- your mom. She's cool.
1: We went over and. Um... Brittany is just such a strange individual. she has a cell phone, but she never answers it but uh <laughs> that's a completely different story for a completely different day but uh jay and john don't worry <laughs> i i will uh I will talk to you guys next week see you brother alright guys see you later bye. there they go and uh we are gonna say see a bye as they say uh or 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 whichever and uh, that's it.